Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You are listening to the Hiking Radio Network, where we talk the walk with shows by hikers about hikers for everybody. Welcome to the Trail Dames Podcast, where we speak with women who love to dance upon this earth. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Trail Dames Podcast. If you've been listening for a while, I hope you've been enjoying my Appalachian Trail journal entries. I've been sharing with you tales of my own attempt at a through hike. Well, you might remember I mentioned several times my awesome friend, Jan Lightshoe. Lightshoe was a horse whisperer who one day got bitten by the AT bug, and she hiked the same year I did. And while she was doing her hike, she kept an extraordinary journal. She never published that journal, but she gave me permission to share it with you here on the Trail Dames podcast. The stories will come back in the future. But now for the next few months, I want you to take a trip on the AT with Light Shoe. She experiences every second of her hike with depth and with wonder, and she shares it beautifully. I know you're going to love it. My name is Anna. All my friends call me a mud butt. And today I'm introducing you to my friend Light Shoe. Thanks for listening to the Trail Dames podcast. Light Shoe's Appalachian Trail Journal. April 5th. Early, I rose up from the dungeon monk cell bedroom to go to the bathroom on the floor above. Passing the spacious kitchen, I saw young Paul making himself a peanut butter sandwich from Peter Pan peanut butter, my brand. I thought they might use just organic, saltless, ground in the store, trans fatty, acidless peanut butter, but no, real junk, high sugar peanut butter. Yahoo! This was good news. I had asked Paul yesterday if I could purchase a couple of PB&J sandwiches made from their substantial brown bread. I crave good bread on the trail. And he promised that he would ask. If they used Peter Pan, well, things were looking up and it was scarcely 6.45 a.m. When I came out of the bathroom, Paul met me at the kitchen door with two huge plastic wrap sandwiches. They must have weighed a pound apiece. These are for you, he announced. I'm really sorry I forgot you and I want you to have these. And I'll take you back out to Allen Gap today for free. Well, the trail is just like that. Something happens that I think is bad, but it just turns itself inside out and shows its silver lining. I was impressed with this 19-year-old's accountability. I'm sorry, just wasn't good enough for him. He wanted to put things right. 
I was so surprised and pleased, I gave him a hug. Rupture healed. The first order of business was an early breakfast at the Smoky Mountain Diner. In walked Heather and Andy, a.k.a. fly-by-night and smooth navigator. They had gotten off the trail at Mountain Mama's when Heather's grandmother had died. They missed the big snow that slowed us all down, and they got back on, and they caught us. Next order of business, ibuprofen and new shoes. I hated like hell to trade in my current trail warriors. They have been my most successful backpacking pair to date. I have also purchased enough trail shoes in the past year that felt great in the store, but hiked horribly in the woods. So I was skeptical about this new shoe venture, but it needed doing. My old friend Montreal Washak shoes had been duct taped and super glued together since Fontana. Why not buy the exact same pair? <laughs> I tried that last year twice. Exact same brand, style, and size, and they never fit the same. I was told that the manufacturing process had changed. Ah, I finally find a pair that cradles my funny feet and they go and change it. But Wayne at Bluff Mountain Outfitters spent a lot of time fitting, explaining, and offering. In the end, he put me in a pair of Montreal Java GTX, the very first pair of trail shoes I'd ever bought, the very pair that burned the snot out of my toes, and they still do, I might add. They haven't worn out yet. But he fitted me in a pair one and a half sizes larger than my original pair. Are my feet growing or was I just oblivious? <laughs> I will never know. The Javas felt the best of all the pairs. So they joined the light shoe Ramada. I know some people think Gore-Tex and shoes is a waste of money, but I never had wet feet in my original Javas. I mailed my old gray mare shoes home to a well-deserved retirement, pastured out to light duty. After the rocky, shoe-destroying 270-mile long trail, many prep hikes, and the first 270 miles of the Appalachian Trail, these game workhorses had earned a restful, puttering-about-town status. Goodbye, old girls. You have served me well. I settled up with Elmer for a ridiculously low $60 for three nights lodging and three gourmet meals. Then Paul drove me to Allen Gap. He spoke a little about his immediate future, which included a stint with AmeriCorps, then off to an organic farming school near Boone, then the Peace Corps for agriculture. A really interesting kid. For sure, I did not have a service orientation at age 19. Life was all about me back then. At the gap, I snapped a picture of Paul in his shuttle car, then saddled up and rode off into the sunset. It was a mostly uphill climb for the first six miles. Resting on a log on one of these uphills, I am struck by the abundance of striped maple trees in these woods, indeed all along the Appalachian Trail so far. Striped maple is a lovely little understory tree. I learned to recognize it just last fall. Before that, it literally didn't even exist for me, but now I see it everywhere. Perception is selective, huh? Timber folk dislike this little beauty, and they call it a trash tree because it grows swiftly like alder and its little trunks have no economic value. But to me, the striped bark is as striking as can be with its green stems and the slender yellow limbs. At eye height, 
the species mists the forest slopes with the subtlest of green. In fall, the leaves turn a most compelling clear yellow, forming a glowing roof over the lucky traveler's head on sunny days. One man's trash is another's treasure, I guess. I stopped by the shelter at about 5 p.m. to get some water, but there was still gas in this tank, so I walked on until 7. Toward the end of my stint, walking in the cool dusk, I pass a weird structure built high on a mountain, a 1950s version of an alien spacecraft. Well, actually, it's a microwave tower, and I'm wondering if my innards will simmer a bit if I camp within range. The feet performed tolerably well today. Toes were getting a little hot spot here and there in the new shoes, but just resting shifted that heat. I wonder if these might not be a good hot weather shoe, but it's too early to know that. Today, after eight loaded miles, the Javas, they get a cautious thumbs up. I found a campsite alone just south of the Peregrine Cliffs. I had walked this section last April with my friend Ruth Marwitz, and I remembered a spot she'd camped at. Perfect at this late hour. As I'd walked a section I'd hiked previously, I can't help but think of those I'd done it with. Ruth, with her flashing smile and unexpectedly wicked sense of humor, is one of my favorite hiking partners. If walking the AT doesn't burn me out on backpacking, perhaps we'll have another adventure. There is a lazy slice of moon out tonight, on its back. Its hollow belly is facing upward. I believe it's waxing, working on becoming full before long. Like that. As darkness takes over my world, I hear faint voices on the mountaintop near the microwave tower. I recall walking up there last year and seeing a road. Locals must be camping nearby. A barred owl wakes up and starts its call. Who cooks for you? It rules the night. At least until a jarring sound suddenly floats down the slope to my camp. The roar and gunning of an engine followed by charmingly loud rap music. The bass booms down slope, though the partiers must be at least a mile away. This goes on until well past 2 a.m. Eventually, the music is switched off and the party goes silent. In the end, the owl has the final say, as owls have had throughout the millennia. Call me old-fashioned, but I prefer it that way. Jan Lightshoe, AT class of 03. Light Shoes Appalachian Trail Journal, April 6th. Around 6.30 a.m., another bass beat awakens me. I don't mind this one, though. It's the drumming of a ruffled grouse in a spring mating mode. The beating of its stiffened wings makes a deep thrumming that reminds me of someone trying to start a pull-type lawnmower. The engine starts up catches a few beat, and then dies off. The grouse drums repeatedly, hungry for a response. Lying on the ground as I am, the sound penetrates. I feel the drumming viscerally in my bones. The sound travels through the earth as well as the air, and I didn't know that before I actually felt it today. This lulls me back to sleep, and before I know it, the hikers from Little Laurel Shelter are striding past my solitary campsite. It's daylight savings time, they invariably announce, and for some reason, I find this hysterically funny, as if time had the same meaning out here. 
The sun goes up and the sun goes down, and incrementally each day lengthens. Right now, in practical terms, daylight savings is just a concept in the head. Still, I can't feel too superior in this regard. I am still struggling with time. These are deeply conditioned habits. It seems the unhappiest I am out here is when time is a factor. Take racing to the post office when it closes, or to meet a shuttle or a friend, or even to beat a thunderstorm to the shelter. All day long, I feel this self-induced pressure nagging in the background. Hurry, you're behind. Even when the day is mine, that guilty little pulse beats in the background, often just below awareness. You're not advancing. Without a doubt, mileage has something to do with hiking the AT, but not as much as this nagging little voice would have one believe. Often this causes me to push my frame closer to the red line zone than is healthy. Then I trip and fall, turn something, or heat up my feet and blister. I must keep reminding myself, I have time. Relax. Not feeling particularly ambitious today, though, I practice relaxation. I stretch out on my Z-rest in the pleasant morning sun, munch salty handfuls of Hormel's pre-cooked premium crumbled bacon, and read a little Edward Abbey. I had been hauling Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek around for a while, wondering why I couldn't get past the first chapter of this perfectly written, bloodless nature book. When I picked up Ed Abbey, though, and got sucked right into his world, I knew why. Abbey is passionate, irreverent. He totally grocks the awe thing without being pious about it and is, above all, outrageously, hilariously funny. I don't always agree with this iconoclast, but I am always provoked, engaged, and entertained. Dillard got bounced forward. (laughs) Maybe another day, dear. I've got a date with Ed. I packed up about the time the White brothers walked by, and I joined them. These two are twin brothers, retired from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. They are very gentle souls, yet they have investigated the worst crimes. Murder, rape, arson, and kidnapping. The hike today takes me up White Cliffs and the Peregrine Nesting Sites. Certain trails to the cliffs are closed, marked with orange signs that warn that the raptors are nesting. I scan the sky repeatedly, but I do not see any aloft. The wind roars overhead today, leaving me slightly uneasy. There's an internal disquiet when the wind is blowing. It's subtle, but it's there. After lunch, the skies turn a fish-belly gray. Bright, but with the hint of rain. I ascend some rocky, peaty terrain that reminds me of the long trail. Another stretch has me picking my way over some really large boulders. I found myself wondering yet again how the blind thru-hiker, Bill Irwin, negotiated such treacherous terrain with his guide dog, Orient. Another section over several miles had us walking through a forest of dead pines. The southern pine beetle had worked with hungry efficiency. The wind rattles the brittle limbs like bones. Much deadfall litters the forest floor. Large trunks slant ominously across the trail, forcing one to duck. With the wind chattering the bare silver tops, I consider the possibility that something might shake loose and fall on me. I hustle through the dead pines. 
I am not making very good time, that word again, today. Everybody seems to pass me, and I sit and take off my shoes a lot. A few hot spots shape up, a middle toe protests endlessly, my bunions complain, the right tendon issues a few warning shots. If it seems like a focus on my feet a lot, okay, guilty as charged, I do. They are my main equipment, see, along with muscle, heart, and lungs. As my friend Suze notes, it's hard to enjoy life when what's holding you up is hurting. Or, as my friend Hammer notes, they are your magic carpet to Katahdin. Three miles before the shelter, I crossed the 300-mile mark. Hooray! I have walked almost one-seventh of the way. And I am still in the game, gimping along. It's hard to explain why I'm enjoying myself, despite near constant physical discomfort. Every mile under pack is a burden on my lightly muscled frame. I am often wet or cold or worn out, and my feet hurt like the dickens. Maybe I will turn my attention to the matter and figure it out on the upcoming days. I am passed in the last mile before the shelter, just as it starts to rain. Drat! The shelter will be full and I'll be setting up my tent in the rain. But no, when I get there, there is one slot left. I cook and slide into my bag as it is growing cold. When my poor friend Chief shows up 90 minutes later, we are crammed to the gills. He's done a 22-mile day and now must sleep in the rain. None of us sleep up and give him our spot either. The AT can be a hard place. Jan Lightshoe, AT Class of 03. See what I mean? Isn't her writing fantastic? Like I mentioned, she hasn't published these journal entries, and I just really appreciate her sharing them with us. But you know what she has done? Before she did her AT through hike, she did a through hike of the Vermont Long Trail, and she did write a book about that. It's called The Ordinary Adventurer. Hiking Vermont's Long Trail, a primer for baby adventurers and other musings on the nature of the journey. You can find it on Amazon. I have put the link in the show notes, and I hope that you will go and order it because it is wonderful. I want to say a quick thank you to Steve, aka Mighty Blue. He's our fantastic producer. He is also the creator of the Hiking Radio Network. If you're enjoying the Trail Names podcast, definitely go check out the network. All the podcasts there are wonderful. And if you are enjoying our podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends and family, share it on your social media. We want to get the word out about the Trail Dames podcast so we can help inspire women to get out and hike, hike, hike. My name is Anna. All my friends call me Mudbutt, and I really appreciate you listening. Now go hit the trail. Suffer